Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Austin Montgomery for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with 1031 crowdfunding CEO Edward Fernandez. The Irvine, California-based company oversees a senior living portfolio of over a dozen communities across eight states. 1031 crowdfunding is in the midst of a push into senior living investment, with an overall goal to have $1 billion in assets under management in two years and $5 billion of assets under management in five years, with senior living accounting for 40% of that value. Amid a buyer's market with cap rates attractive in assisted living and memory care, 1031 crowdfunding is bringing a unique approach to asset management in senior living. You can't just jump in and do this asset type. And what that does is that creates a stabilization in cap rates and then gives me a higher yield so that I can give it to my investors. And then we're tied, obviously, to the baby boomers and the silver tsunami and all those demographics. So it's a good asset type to jump into, especially in today's market environment. Now, here's my interview with Edward Fernandez, CEO of 1031 Crowdfunding. Edward, thanks for joining us here on Transform. Hey, Austin. Thank you for having me. Really, really great to have you. We know that we spoke in January, and it's probably been an exciting time since then. So we're really excited to learn more about 1031 crowdfunding. And uh, let's start off, though, for people who might not be familiar with the platform, how would you describe 1031 crowdfunding for those who just really don't know anything about your organization? Because we we know you're bringing a lot of innovative things to the senior living space. Yeah, so think of 1031 crowdfunding as a shopping mall. Okay. And the mall has a bunch of different stores, Tilly's, Nordstrom's, et cetera. And so what's attracting to the mall is the fact that the mall has different stores, which provides different customers. So when you go to the mall, you can shop where you want to shop. So 1031 crowdfunding is the mall for 1031 exchanges. So you can come to the mall and you can get a little senior housing, a little multifamily, a little student housing, whatever you want to satisfy your 1031 exchange. So that's 1031 crowdfunding in a nutshell. And now let's just shift to the senior living perspective for 1031. What prompted you to enter the senior living space to begin with? Well, so we've been doing senior living, we as a team, prior to 1031 crowdfunding's existence uh, for about 15 years now. And when we say senior living, we're talking about assisted living and memory care. And the reason why we like the space so much is because it has that barrier to entry where you can't just jump in and do this asset type. And what that does is that creates a stabilization in cap rates and then gives me a higher yield so that I can give it to my investors. Um, And then we're tied, obviously, to the baby boomers and the silver tsunami and all those demographics. So it's a good asset type to jump into, especially in today's market environment. Definitely. And we know this year has been a pretty interesting spot for well-positioned operators and well-positioned organizations looking to enter senior living. So it only makes sense that uh, you decided to jump in as well. Now, do you want to just shift to talk a little bit about characterizing the strategy that 1031 has as it relates to senior living? I know you just mentioned kind of that focus on assisted living and memory care. You yes. just want to talk about the overarching strategy that you that you see for 1031 as it relates to senior living? Sure. So, you know, a lot of our products are more for 
60 to 90 year olds. That's the demographic. And a lot of these investors have experienced or have some type of interaction with senior housing, maybe with their parents, um, or they might be considering entering the space. So the strategy was specifically tied to the ability to grow our assets in that space because of the fact that the yields are so attractive to investors. If you look at all other asset types, yields are really still compressed. And at that age, from 60 to 90 years old, they're really focused on income. They want the income to pay their bills. And that's the reason why the strategy is driven in the senior housing space for for us at, at 1031 Crowdfunding. And I, I'd love to know, too, just we, when we spoke in January, you talked a lot about executing on the strategy for the senior living um, portion of your portfolio. Do you want to just talk about um, just executing on the strategy that you have with senior living partners and what it looks like just uh, on the ground, um, just to be able to clarify just how you really make this strategy uh, successful and, and just how you really Um, just integrate senior living into the overarching vision of 1031? Well, the space, you know, where we exist is very limited as far as the product, Delaware Statutory Trust. There's only us and another uh, sponsor in the space. And so what we're doing today is we just got done acquiring two assets in Florida three weeks ago. I'm actually going to a trip uh, to Texas, Tyler, Texas, looking at a a 256-unit asset in Tyler, Texas. So we're constantly looking at acquisitions. And with the debt markets where they are today, we're willing to write checks and buy these assets all cash and then put leverage on it later. But um, that's how we're doing it real time on the ground is we're still in acquisition mode. And I think being able to talk about that acquisition mode is something that I want to get to as well. I've got a few questions just related to kind of some of those overarching goals that we spoke about in January, just talking about the asset management and the the figure attached to what that vision looks like. And now I just want to ask, though, how can you how can your real estate investment model really change the face of senior living and how maybe operators interact with potential property sales? I'd love to know just kind of how you think this might um, change just within the industry or bring change um, just through the model that you're doing uh, really to change the the next the next level of senior living uh, real estate investment. Well, so. The way we're doing it allows the common investor to be involved in the asset type. Um, That's not the only way that you were able to do that before is through um, a REIT, a real estate investment trust. And uh, we're doing that as well. But when you got exchanges now, investors now can actually buy a piece of an asset, which means that more capital is coming in. And as more capital is coming in, um, it's driving more acquisitions. And then when it comes to operators, you know, we, we use regional operators. We don't use national operators because regional operators understand the local market. And so, you know, we're focused now on these regional operators and looking for regional operators that are going to be performance focused. 
So, you know, we have a management contract agreement that says if you do X, Y, and Z, you get to participate in the spread. And, and that's what we're really focused on is lowering operating expenses, increasing revenue to produce better returns for our investors. And I, I think you had mentioned just talking about cap rates. So we'll talk about market conditions here in a little bit. I appreciate you kind of talking about the interaction between 1031 and operators, because I think that's where some people might have some questions just mm-hmm. in terms of how you interact with operators. And so do you do you want to just kind of give an update to the portfolio that you have right now within senior living and what that exposure looks like? Because I know when we sure. spoke in January, it was something where you it seemed like you you were kind of looking at a lot of different options and and taking on a few at the time i think it was a couple communities in utah and you just mentioned florida i remember that was something you said was kind of in the works at the time so sure. i'd love to know just what the portfolio looks like right now for 1031 now that we're um, we're almost 10 months through the year yeah so so we own assets in eight different states i think it's eight different states so we have in california we have oregon washington utah Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, Texas. Um, and so we're, we're, we're constantly looking for opportunities in geographical locations um, where cap rates are the driver for us. Um, when we spoke, I think I was buying deals, I don't know, at a seven, seven and a quarter cap. The Florida deal was an eight and a half cap. So we're starting to see the, the cap kind of expand due to what's going on in the economy as well as the, especially the debt markets. So that's a little bit about our portfolio. And we, we're going to continue to, we're going to continue to focus in areas where, you know, legislation risk is not a risk that I can put on a pro forma. Real estate in itself is risky, right? You can put it on a spreadsheet and kind of figure out and quantify the risk. But you can't quantify a stroke of a pen. So we're going to kind of stay away from those geographical locations where the real estate can perform on its own without having any interruptions from legislation. And I know you had mentioned, too, in, when we had spoken last about the asset management goal and some of those like broader goals. I know those those figures are, were pretty eye popping and and you were kind of looking at one billion dollars in asset management in two years and five billion dollars in, in asset management in five years. I, I got to thinking about after we had that conversation, uh, I, I, I know that you're bullish on senior housing, but uh, how big of a part will senior living play within that strategy? I would love to know a breakdown or a percentage uh, or ballpark figure of where you think within those two overarching goals, where does senior living fit into all of this? I think if I had to predict the future, I would say about 40% of the portfolio will exist in senior housing because you, you, there's, a, there's a combination of driving net asset value or appreciation and providing stable income. I think that the senior housing assets is going to produce both. But in other asset types, we might not really focus on income. We might just focus on appreciation. So we're focused on the senior housing to give us that core asset, which is going to drive our cash flow for our investors and give us that potential appreciation for the overall strategy. 
And just when you you had mentioned just being able to be a part of that asset management goal, that senior living, like you just said, is going to be something that could be uh, a 40 percent part of that. Uh, That's a pretty substantial part. And I think kind of gets back to your bullish nature on senior housing in general. Um, Do you think that um, that this is something to where all the market fundamentals are there because demand is so strong right now that uh, senior living can can remain that high of a figure within those two? overarching goals? Yeah. So we do a lot of research. So, you know, pre-COVID, um, you know, occupancies were 88, 92%. COVID hit, occupancy went to 80, you know, on an average. And so now we're back up to like 86, 87% post-COVID. And there's no new product coming online um, just because of the debt markets. So if there's no new product coming online. We still have a demand for the asset because people are still getting older. Um, The outlook for 2024 and beyond is very good for senior housing. So that's why we're so bullish on it. And that's why we think we're going to, you know, have 40 percent of our portfolio in that asset type. And I know when we last spoke to you, you had mentioned within that short term, that two-year goal, having the $1 billion under asset management, that you were about one-third of the way there to that goal. Yeah. Uh, do you want to just talk about some of the progress you've made since then? Um, and could be within senior housing, could be without. would love to know just what the progression yeah, has been we'll, like this year. We'll probably be, by the end of the year, we'll probably be by about a bill, half a billion okay. by the end of the year. Um, and I see us hitting that billion dollar mark early in 2024. So the $5 billion mark really doesn't seem that lofty because we're constantly in acquisition mode. So 5 billion for us is a very conservative number in that time frame. My hopes is we can get it done in three years. Yeah, I think I think all the fundamentals are there, right? I mean, we've seen just uh, well-positioned uh, organizations being able to uh, acquire properties right now for for really affordable prices. In terms of, I don't think if you if you went back to 2019 and we're looking at some of the the asset prices then um, compared to where, and you told someone what they were going to be in 2023, I think they wouldn't believe you yeah. uh, in terms of 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 just the the dramatic shift that happened yeah. uh, post COVID. And do you want to just, do you want to just talk about uh, market conditions? I know you mentioned a little bit earlier just about what you're seeing on cap rates. So yeah. do you want to just talk about some of the market conditions you've seen throughout the year? Maybe I know when we talked in January, when we entered the year, it was a little bit different of a conversation. Uh, would love to know what, what you've seen in the last nine months. Well, like I was saying earlier, I've seen cap rates start expanding a little bit. Prior to the debt markets, cap rates were compressing a lot. And so it was hard to find deals and it was hard to find sellers willing to let go of their assets at a certain price point. And so today's market, because transactions have slowed down, I think transactions have slowed down about 40 percent from where they were at the high. Sellers still want to make a deal. They still want to sell their assets. And so they're willing to take a discount because if they bought it, you know, let's say they bought it at a, a, you know, a seven cap and they're, you know, and they were willing to sell it at an eight cap. That that's okay. If they bought it at an eight cap, they can sell it at a seven and a half cap. They're still making money is my point. 
And so the market conditions due to the supply and demand and because of the debt markets, transactions are still happening. I we're 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 potentially have a strategic partner that has a bunch of investors in their senior housing facilities. And and these numbers need a these assets need a certain cap rate for exit. And so we can give them that certain cap rate exit, still being able to be fruitful to our investors. And so this group has about 40 assets they want to unload. And so we're, we're, we're looking into that where we could potentially take all those assets. And if we do, we'll, we'll definitely hit that $5 billion number, no problem. Yeah, I would say, I mean, anytime you have a chance to, to swoop that many communities at once, I think that's unprecedented to be able yeah. to, to look at that. And get, it gets back to just what the conditions are like right now. And I, I want to keep talking about the market conditions and as it relates to just what you're seeing on the ground. In terms of where we're at being a buyer's market or a seller's market, I think this year has been pretty pretty strong in favoring buyers. Um, but I would love to know just what you've seen and kind of what you you're noticing in terms of when you're looking to, to transact, what what are some of the dynamics right now compared to what they were coming into the year? Well, so most of the dynamics really are tied to does the asset perform without debt on it, right? We don't want to get an asset where leverage causes negative leverage, right? And it impacts cash flow. Prior, when we first talked, that wasn't an issue. Today, it's an issue. Um, and so when we transact, we've got to look at assets on an all-cash basis and what that asset is going to do maybe in two to three years when we refinance and pull our cash out and then we have dry powder to go buy more deals. So that's really what's driving our acquisition strategy is does the can the asset produce the cash flow that's attractive to investors on an all-cash basis based on the cap rate that the seller is willing to sell at. That sounds like a very delicate balance to make work. Do you want to talk about just what goes into making making those appeasements and to getting everyone onto the same page? Well, it's you know it's negotiation, right? How bad does the seller really want to sell the asset? Um, is the seller in a ten thirty one exchange? Are they not in a ten thirty one exchange? Um, is the seller you know representing the operating expenses correctly? You know a, a T three T six T twelve numbers. Right. And so, you know, when we go into those assets, we flush all that out. And then at some point, maybe there's a retrading mechanism, right? Hey, it's not what you said it was. We're interested in the asset. Are you willing to take X? You know, and that that determines whether the sellers, um, you know, incentivized to sell the asset. So it like you said, it is a a dance. It's a balancing act. Um, But we're not in a hurry to make mistakes, right? So we're going to be very careful when we take acquisitions down to make sure it does perform. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we've been hearing this year also is that really operators and organizations looking to make transactions are being really more careful than I think maybe even in years past. Not to say that that operations um, and organizations were less careful coming into the the current market that we're in uh, making a transaction, but it seems like there's more emphasis on due diligence being done for these transactions. Is that something you're noticing just 
kind of making sure that there's there's more boxes that need to be checked. I'd love to know just kind of like, kind of getting back to that balance that that we're talking about. Um, just do you think that people are more are more careful in today's environment just because of the challenges that are out there? Yeah, you have to be, especially with the insurance uh, premiums that have doubled. Right. So if you're in Florida and you're buying assets in Florida and it's on the east coast of Florida, what are the insurance costs? You may buy the asset where the insurance is already set in place, but the insurance renews every year. Right. So if it's one number today, what's the number next year? And is that number double? And if that number is double, what does it do to my cash flow? Because my expenses have gone up through the roof. Right. So you have to calculate what those costs are going to be. When you're presenting an offer to the to the seller, right? Because the seller can't tell me, oh, I guarantee you the insurance premium is going to stay where it's at. No, we have to predict where it's going to go. And we have to be a little bit more aggressive than conservative to make sure that when we do make an offer, all the numbers work. So, yes, due diligence, especially today, is very, very important. And what are some of the biggest challenges right now that you're seeing to these market conditions? Are they still kind of the macro factors that we've been seeing throughout the year and, and, and over the last year as well, um, just in terms of inflation, interest rates, uh, high cost of, of, of debt? We'd love to know just what are the challenges out there right now in the market? I think you touching on the insurance angle is something that's really important as well. So we'd love to just get your perspective on what are some of the challenges in the market right now um employment finding people right um because of the economy and the government printing money the way they were um it's hard to find good people and without good people you have to go to staffing agency so if i normally pay somebody 20 dollars an hour to do a job and I go and now I can't find that position. I've got to go to a staffing agency. I might have to pay $30 an hour for that actual job. So now, you know, your your payroll goes up. You've got the insurance premiums going up, right? And so now your your cap rate you know, or your net operating income or EBITDA is con- drastically has changed. So the challenges today is staffing. Very, very difficult to find good people that want to do a good job. And I think that also gets to what we were saying earlier about pairing with operators that you you would said really understand their local market. Do you want to just talk about, kind of circle back to that and talk about uh, when you choose to work with an operator, uh, what some of the things they do well that you really like and gravitate towards? Is that a really strong hiring? Is that really strong operations? Would love to know when you're making a decision about who to work with and from an operational perspective for these senior living operators, what are some of the green flags that you're really looking for that they have uh, to show that there's going to be some long-term success and viability for the property? That's a great question. One of the challenges in using a regional operator is as we're growing so fast as an organization, we need financials from the operator to be gap compliant. Okay. And so when you use a regional operator, which is a smaller operator, sometimes they just have a bookkeeper. Right. And, and that doesn't work for us. So now because we're growing so fast and we we're now we're moving over to being gap compliant, because in the future we want to be a public reporting company 
right? We focus and look for operators that have that infrastructure in place. And if they don't have the infrastructure in place, we'll buy the asset potentially and replace the operator that does have that infrastructure in place. And so that's very, very important to us because we can't get financials on the 20th of the month when we know we have to report 10 days later. It it just doesn't work, right? So that's one of the major drivers when we look for regional operators. Do they have the infrastructure to be gap compliant? And that's a major green light for us. Everything else is downhill from there because we know how to buy the real estate. We know that the operator knows how to hire the right people, but do they have the infrastructure to do that gap compliant uh, portion that we need? I appreciate that because that's something I, I didn't necessarily hadn't thought of, but uh, would, would be a key part of the whole process, especially coming in uh, to yes. be able to make make a, a transaction viable for the future. Yes. I know we had, we had talked a little bit about some of the challenges within the market. Do you want to just talk about some of the opportunities and where you're, you're seeing some optimism or, or just what, what things that you think are new opportunities within the senior living space that maybe weren't necessarily as uh, fortunistic coming into this year? Are there any things getting easier? Anything uh, that you see just in terms of optimism in the space? I would love to know what areas within the space really give you confidence for what's ahead? So I think independent living in the senior housing space, cap rates are still so dramatically compressed because it acts more like an apartment building for the elderly. I I think skilled nursing for us is um, a little out there for us where, you know, um, our profile investors are anywhere from 60 to 90 years old. So we got to be in the middle of the road and that would be AL and MC for us, right? Um, As far as the challenges are concerned or any any opportunities are concerned, the opportunities are starting to arise more and more. Uh, For us, we want to focus on areas where there's surrounding hospitals, right, so that the hospitals are feeders to our facility. We want to make sure that we're dealing with, you know, uh, uh, operators that have a tremendous amount of experience because at the end of the day, the sticks and the bricks is really not where the value is. The value is, is where the operator is doing a good job, right? And as an asset manager of that operator, we need to make sure that they don't have a blank check to write for whatever problem they may have. You know, they have to work within the budget that we allocate to them. And if they can do that for us, um, that operator and that asset is an asset that we're going to go after. And I think this also gets to my next question, which is, your outlook for the year ahead. Do you think that market conditions are going to remain pretty similar to what we've seen this year? I've heard kind of both sides of the coin this year is that uh, within the finance space that things will get easier and then things won't get easier. So I'm wondering if it's kind of a mix or a blend between those two. I would love to know what your outlook is for 2024 and just what what you're looking at when you look at next year. I think it, 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 it's if, if you use real estate as the umbrella and then you have all these different asset types underneath the umbrella, some asset types is going to still be challenging with the current environment. The asset type that we're talking about, senior living, I think there's so much wiggle room there that I think if we can continue to buy assets, and I'm speaking about 1031 crowdfunding as a whole, 
if we continue to buy assets on an all cash basis, then nothing's off the table for us, right? We can go after acquisitions because we can write a check for it. Knowing in the future, you know, we'll, we'll put debt on it and we'll take our money out. So I, to answer your question, I think in the senior housing space for 2024 and beyond, I think we're going to be okay. Other asset types that are directly tied to uh, mortgage rates, and if mortgage rates don't come down, that's going to be a challenging uh, time for them. And within senior living, do you think those biggest opportunities for, for you are still going to be within uh, assisted living and memory care? Yeah, we want to stay right there in that middle of the road because um, the cap rates are so stable. We can make deals work in there. Uh, I think, um, you know, skilled nursing uh, cap rates are above what we like to see. But because of the profile of our clients, we don't want to take unforeseen risk to try to drive cash flow uh, for our investors. And then independent living cap rates, because they're more acting like multifamily, they're just still too compressed to make anything happen for us. So yeah, right in the middle of the road, MCAL, that's where we're going to stay for right now. Well, Edward, we'll be watching along as you make that progress towards those goals. And uh, I know that this year has already been a busy year for you. Uh, but like I said, we'll be watching along. Thank you so much for joining us here on Transform. Austin, thank you for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. That does it for this episode of Transform. I'm Austin Montgomery for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening. 